This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's podcast. It is a million degrees here in New York, so um, I don't know how well this podcast is going to go. I got to try to find some way to have the AC on while recording. It's just, it's right here, so it's kind of not really possible with my current setup, but I got to try to figure out some way around this. But anyway, enough bitching about me being hot. Let's jump right into the news. First up, Retro Game Restore is now doing another run of translucent PC Engine cases, and this time it's a smoke gray style that is meant to match the Terra Onions SSD S3, which uh, I don't have a picture of it connected to each other, but I think that would be a pretty awesome look for something like this. Um, Retro Game Restore did pre-orders for their cases before, and I think there were two full runs that were successful, but like last time, they need to order at least 80, or there won't be enough to make the full production run. Um, these are about $120, uh, give or take, depending on shipping and stuff like that. Um, so if you're a fan of this, uh, of, of the clear style cases, especially if you have a case that's all beat up or one of those yellowed out ones and an SSD S3, this might be a really cool thing to, uh, to purchase. I believe it also has the controller kit as well, so you could have the translucent controller to match. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I, I really like things that, that look original because I want to keep the look and feel of original consoles, but with a different spin on them. And of course, I also always love aftermarket cases because I have no problem hacking those up if I want to drill holes for stuff. And um, while I, I just never like cutting original plastic on any original consoles, I'm still waiting for something like this to happen for a Super Nintendo. And for an aftermarket case, I'll drill holes all through the back and mount really nice, you know, RCA jacks, S-Video, whatever else. But I don't, I don't want to touch my original cases. So... If you need to mod a PC engine, if you just want it to match the look of the SSD S3, if your case is, uh, is yellowed and old or beat up, this is definitely a good choice, so please check it out. Retro Gaming Cables in the UK is now selling new old stock of Sega Saturn NTSC RF adapters. And I know it's probably really weird to hear RF being talked about on Retro RGB, uh, but the truth is there, there's still a really good use for things like this. And I, I certainly have one scenario that pops into mind. What if you have like a, a really great OSSC or RetroTINK setup with a, a switch, you have all of your consoles in RGB, everything seems perfect, you, you know, you're really enjoying on your flat panel, but you just want to play Virtua Cop, a light gun game. Uh, and there's a couple of really good uh, light gun games on the Saturn. So you could go hunt down an RGB monitor, but it's a lot of money. And you could go hunt down a CRT with a bunch of proper inputs, maybe even ones with component video inputs, and you could use the RGB to comp from RetroTank to do it that way. That's all awesome. The, the problem is, though, now you're looking for something very specific. So if you just want to play light gun games and you could just go out and go on Craigslist or just walk around, sometimes you see them on the side of the road, you could find a CRT still for free or cheap pretty much in any metropolitan area around the planet 
it's pretty much still. There's still areas that uh, I guess they've cleared most of theirs out. So if all you want is just, you know, like a nice 13 or 20 inch TV to just play some light gun games, the chances of you finding one only with an RF input are pretty good because even through the CRT, the HD CRT era, I still ran into a whole bunch that only had RF inputs, which always kind of cracked me up. But so if that's the case, this might be the perfect solution for you. Um, You know, also I have always said RF and composite plugged directly into a flat panel is terrible and I don't suggest anybody do it, but RF and composite plugged directly into a CRT can often be a great experience. Um, And the example I always use is when I was getting ready for all those expos, RF here in my apartment in Manhattan looks terrible because there's quite literally millions of wireless signals all around. But as soon as I got just outside of the city and went inside some of these expo halls, RF on a 2003 good quality CRT looked pretty indistinguishable from composite. It was a great experience overall. So, you know, I know this is probably too long of a section to talk about RF, but I definitely wanted to put it into perspective. And I'm sorry to keep repeating myself, but I'm just trying to squash that myth of like composite video is awful. RF is awful. Like, It is directly onto a flat panel, but there are situations where it's pretty decent. So if you need one for an NTSC Saturn, maybe pick one of these up. The Swiss team has just posted a number of new updates to the software, and I think one of the big highlights from the latest revision is new streaming audio emulation that would allow audio from previously incompatible games to work when launched from SD cards inserted into like memory card readers or the bottom-mounted SD to SP2. Oh, I got the acronym right. Cool. Um, As a note, this is the audio issue that have kind of always been happening if you're playing off of an SD solution, except the GC loader. The GC loaders always seem to work fine. Um, And it looks like these updates fix a lot of it. Uh, There... Some buzzing may occur during, uh, to quote the technical explanation, during large ARAM DMA transactions. So that's some, it's kind of like the Super Monkey Ball when it's changing, the game Super Monkey Ball when it's changing scenes. Um, so it, it's still a work in progress, but it seems to be pretty stable. So, you know, as always, whenever there's a Swiss update, I recommend going through and checking out the entire list of changes and see if there's anything specific that that applies to you. But for the most part, I, I think most people, when they hear that there's an update, want to hear the highlights, and then they just update. Because uh, it's free, and if you're using SD cards, which you should in most cases these days, I, for me personally, I just take the, the Swiss auto, um, auto uh, doll that I have, auto boot into it. I rename that dot whatever the, you know, the last revision was, drop the new one in, and if I ever have any problems, I can just go right back, but I pretty much never have issues. I just always keep it with the latest version. So uh, as always, thank you so much to the whole Swiss team. And the short, short version for anybody that doesn't know what Swiss is, it's the Swiss army knife of tools for the GameCube. I recommend that everybody use this unless very specifically you have a game that, you know, always boots exactly the way you already want it. But even with original discs, it'll allow you to do things like boot games from other regions, force video modes. It really is, uh, you know, one of the best pieces of gaming software out there for any hardware, but especially for the GameCube. So if you're a a hardcore GameCube fan, you got to make this part of your setup and really just kind of dig in and check out all the different features it could add. 
Greg from LaserBear was nice enough to do a full write-up of what 3D printers he recommends. Um, and this is this is a recommendation coming from somebody that has built a business off of this stuff, starting with hobby printers, going all the way up to more professional-based ones. So I couldn't think of a better person to get a recommendation from because you're getting all all angles of the spectrum here. Um, so Greg lists out all of the different printers that he has owned, as well as um, different types that he would recommend now. And I, I definitely recommend any 3D printing enthusiast to read this first, um, especially stuff uh, like printers to stay away from and the different types and all that. Uh, I have been dying to get a 3D printer. I just have no room for it, and I probably wouldn't even have the time to set it up for months. But when I do eventually get one, I am absolutely going back to this article and reading through and buying whichever one Greg recommends that fits my use the best. So thanks very much to Greg for taking his time to do this. And it's definitely what I would consider a must-read for anybody looking to get into 3D printing hardware. There's now an open source project in Verilog that allows for HDMI 1.4b code, which basically means that anybody making their own FPGA devices now have a choice of open source HDMI code for the output signal. And I'll wholeheartedly admit that I barely know anything about this, but I do know that there are a lot of developers that listen to this podcast. And I think if you're already far enough down the rat hole of being able to create these devices, you would probably know why and when you would want to use this open source code as opposed to a choice of a different other style code. So rather than speculate, I'll leave that up to you. Um, I'll, I always try to admit when I have no clue what I'm talking about, but I still feel like it sounds important. And this is definitely one of those. So uh, if you're an FP engineer, check this out and see if it's for you. But if not, at least it's up here for reference. The emulator slash dev tool Emulicious just got another major update. Um, this time adds a hotspots view for the profiler, a CPU tab for the memory editor, and a dialog to add watch points. Um, it also added support for MIDI devices to be used with MSX emulation. So uh, overall, Emulicious is a, a good emulator, and if you're just looking to play games, I definitely recommend it. However, it's really designed as a, a developer's tool, and that's what a lot of these updates have focused on. So if you're somebody that likes ROM hacks or making ROM hacks, making your own games from scratch, this really is kind of an essential tool for Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Master System, Game Gear, and just recently MSX was added as well. Uh, so if you're a software dev, definitely check this out. And if you're just a casual emulation fan, maybe check it out as well and see if it has features that you'd like that maybe other ones don't. One developer has just created a completely open source master system to Game Gear converter that includes both the PCB design, instructions on how to build it, and a 3D printed case design as well. Now, for anybody that doesn't know, you could always play Master System games on the Game Gear using either official converters, which I think is the Master Gear converter, and then there was the Gear Master, which I think is um, another third-party seller. And it's an okay experience on the stock screen. You have to jam the SMS's 256 by 192 resolution into the Game Gear's 160 by 144 screen. So you do get some quality drops with the original screen, which I, uh, I have up here on the, both the GG or the Game Gear page and on this post. And you can see for anybody watching, it's not really the greatest experience on the stock screen. However, if you have a McWill screen or hopefully there's other mods coming up soon, it is actually a pretty good solution. And either way, I'm still really excited about this. And I'm not, I'm not really sure why, because I, I usually prefer to play my Master System games just 
on a master system or a Genesis. But the thought of having an open source project like this, as opposed to spending top dollar on something on eBay that's 30 years old and is an amazing collector's item, but might not be in the best shape. You know, you got to worry about old cartridge ports, you know, the the pins on the bottom, you know, those going to stay clean and all that stuff. So I'm really excited about this. I spoke to one store that has already looked into taking the project and making a small run just to see if anybody's interested. So I'll keep everybody posted on that. I'll hopefully be able to do at least a, a quick review on it. It certainly won't be anything too in-depth because you plug the Master System game into that, plug that into the Game Gear and start playing. But overall, I think it's a, it's just a really awesome project. And I love that somebody took the time to create this in the spirit of open source so that if you want a collector's item, now you could hunt one down. But if you just want a way to play Master System carts on the Game Gear, now you have a way to do it that's probably more cost effective and would help support the community depending on, uh, you know, if community members start to make it and stuff like that. So absolutely awesome project. Uh, I will have a review out as soon as I get a chance to. Uh, and please check out the different Game Gear sections of the website if you're looking for more info on any of this stuff. I just did a video about the GBS Control Project, which is a software and hardware combination that you could add to those kind of not so great GBS 8200 or 8220 scalers and turn it from something that's meh into something that's pretty amazing. Um, the video is fairly in-depth. Uh, I spent an insane amount of time on it because uh, I wanted to get as many features out there as possible, but there actually is a few things that didn't make it into the video or maybe weren't super clear in the video that I'd like to go over now for anybody that's looking for a quick follow-up. Um, so basically, the GBS 8200 is a scaler that's been around there forever that's variable lag it doesn't process 240p right however a developer named rama created software for it that you flash and control via a wi-fi interface one of the things that i added in the video and also if you'd like to add a clock generator to prevent screen tearing if you get any then you could add another cheap board to it as well with just five more wires to it um, also there is a, a do-it-yourself kit coming out um, that makes it pretty easy to assemble these things and i believe somebody will be selling these uh, completed as kits. Um, I spent an unhealthy amount of time talking to developer Rama about this, who was so patient with me. So I got to give him a giant shout out. Um, and I, I really enjoy this thing. But as I tried to convey in the video, you just need to understand what it is that you're getting when you use one of these things. Because um, I, well, I didn't want to throw any negativity in the video. The truth is, there's a lot of very odd fanboys of this software, not Rama, by the way, uh, who say things like it's an OSSC killer and it's better than the FrameMeister and just it's, it's not really true. And I really feel like if you hear things like that going into it, it's going to set you up for disappointment when that's it's should be the opposite. Anybody that uses one of these should be blown away at how amazing it is. So there's there's really two scenarios in which you would want to use this. You're on a, a pretty tight budget and you just want to take a cheap scaler, you know, maybe you, you risk one of the eBay links and hope it actually arrives, or maybe you already have one of these laying around and you're already good at modding. So you could do all this work yourself, take the time to, to flash everything, you know, use a USB charger to power it right through the Wi-Fi module, but use a good one, like a tablet charger, not a phone charger. You could essentially have one of these for like 20 bucks. And if that's the way you want to get your consoles onto your flat panel or VGA monitor or whatever, uh, that's a great budget way to do it. But it requires 
a lot of work. I mean, it, it was, I built four of these total now, and I like to take my time, especially because I'm showing these in videos, so I don't want to look like a chump. <laughs> so, you know, it took like an hour each because you take your time to solder everything in, then you take your time to go through the software setups, you know, one at a time, just make sure you do everything right so you don't mess anything up and have to start. So it's, it's not something for somebody that just wants to plug in and go for 240p stuff. Um, and in fact, I don't know how much the completed kits are going to be, but my gut's telling me that's probably too expensive for just somebody that wants basic 240p scaling. If that's the case, grab a retro tank or something like that and be done with it. But the other features of this is where I think it's really amazing. So you have motion adaptive deinterlacing for 480i sources that goes up to 1080p. Um, and it's it's not as good as the frame meisters. It's certainly better than basic Bob deinterlacing. And it's less than a frame of lag, which is half the lag of the Framemeister's deinterlacing, as well as the DVDO's uh, non-Bob deinterlacing. So right there, it's a pretty amazing tool. It does downscaling in both 480p and 480i, and the 480i to 240p is really rare. I haven't had too much time to test it yet. There's going to be a whole other video all based on that. So uh, and there's a couple of other kind of unique features on it where if you put it in the context of, of everything in it, you, you kind of start to see who this scaler is for. And it's not just for people that are looking for a, a budget a budget scaler. I imagine there's a lot of people that are going to be buying these completed kits um, that are going to want to use all of the other features it has as well. So I, I'm just blown away by this. And I do want to reiterate again that Rama donated this completely open source to the community for free. So please check out the link and uh, support Rama if you use this as much as I have been. Um, but also remember that this is an open source project. So that means that you could have devices like potentially those crappy SCART to HDMI boxes. If you could figure out a way on how to hack that, there is a potential possibility that you might be able to port this code over and have those crappy scalers now maybe be useful just like this thing is. Um, also, the only other thing I want to add is the quality of these things tend to vary a lot. And there's a bunch of other hacks and tweaks that I uh, people had messaged me about after the video went live. Like there's some shielding on the bottom mod for one of them. I, I mentioned re uh, replacing a ferrite bead for a certain other model. But the example that I showed in the video was a result of uh, two full days worth of capture, trial and error, testing four different revisions before and after the, the tweaks to them and everything. So, and I still get a lot of people saying that theirs looks better. And I'm not sure if that's just the fanboyish stuff coming out again. Sorry if that's going to upset people, but I'm being honest. Or if it's that I zoomed in to check out analog noise and you're, you know, sitting 10 feet away from your TV, not zoomed in and you can't see any of the noise. I don't really know. Maybe, maybe the four models that I tried, uh, you know, maybe there's better ones out there that I didn't know about. I just want people to have realistic expectations because it would really make me sad if anybody walked into this thinking that it's better than the OSSC and the Framemeister, and they go, oh, it kind of really isn't. It's, you're comparing two totally different things with this. So I don't think that comparing them to those two devices is really fair, unless you know the context that I just explained. Um, the only other thing to add is there's an HDMI version of the GBS hardware that uh, has a couple of things that make it not really usable for us. First and foremost, it's analog in to digital on the chip, out to analog, just like the 8200 and 8220s, 
and then back to HDMI. So essentially it's the exact same as using one of those VGA to HDMI converters like I show in the video, and they're more expensive than a GBS and one of these HDMI converters, and there's no way to route audio through. So while at first I was intrigued about that and thought, oh, how cool would it be if this was analog in to direct digital out? That would clean up a lot of the noise you'd probably see on some of these. Uh, it's just not the case, so I don't recommend those at all. Also, they don't have any any component video ports on the input side. So it's just, you know, if you already have one, cool, do the mod and use it, figure out a way to route audio through or something like that. But I wouldn't tell anybody to go out and get that. And some of the people that do have them say that the video quality is lower. Um, so I know this was kind of a long segment for a podcast that's supposed to just be a weekly overview, but I really wanted to get this info out there and I didn't want to add another 20 minutes to the GBS control video. So I felt this might be the best place to talk about it, but maybe I'll do a live stream one day with it too, that I could take my time and not worry about spending, you know, if I go through it for an hour, it's not going to be the end of the world. Cause I think that's kind of what people expect in live streams versus a, you know, a much more trimmed and perfect professional looking video or, or trying to be professional. You all know I aspire to be like uh, the, the great my life in gaming and digital foundry, but I'm not, I'm not there yet. <laughs> not even close. So I'll quit rambling, but please check out the video. And I really hope everything I just added in this segment kind of clarified things for people um, as opposed to just rambling. People who build classic computers might be pretty excited to find out that there is a brand new ISA card that recreates the functionality of the Roland MPU-401 at just around $130 cost, give or take. Um, so the original Roland cards still sell for quite a bit online, so it's pretty cool to have a brand new replacement. I'm not really sure how they pulled it off, if it's a straight reverse engineer, if it's some other... It doesn't look like there's an FPGA on there, but maybe I'm just looking at the wrong chip or something. Um, there's not too much info on how it's made on the website. However, it is fully compatible, and it works with the embedded Roland MPU interface drivers in Windows, which should make it a lot easier for people building classic computers. Um, so while I don't even have the space to have a second computer, modern computer here, I have to use laptops for most of my work. Um, one of these days when I move into a real people-sized place, I would love to do an old PC build. And um, it's probably going to be a little depressing because I'll probably end up buying stuff I, I had when I was a kid and, you know, probably for more than I paid for it then. But I do like the idea of doing a retro PC build. Um, I, I think it's both fun for nostalgic reasons. And if you do enjoy any of those older games, sometimes it really is better to just use them on original hardware. The source code for the Super Nintendo version of Doom was just released, and Modern Vintage Gamer did a great video that summed everything up. Uh, I joked on Twitter, but I was 100% serious in that when I saw that the code was released, I started to write up a post about it, and then I thought, this has MVG written all over it. I bet you he's going to do a video on it this week. And sure enough, the video came out, and it was way better than a post I could have done without it. So thank you very much for that. Um, you know, I definitely recommend watching the video if you're interested, but one of the things that really interested me in this was there were references for the Super Scope 6 in the code. And it doesn't look like a lot of it. It doesn't look like it was a finished and working demo. But the thought of playing Doom with a Super Scope bazooka seems pretty neat. Maybe in practice, 
series, it wouldn't be as fun, but it's still something I'd love to see. And whenever, you know, the original source comes out, it does open up possibilities for crazy stuff, especially now with things like the FX pack. So will this source code result in in a Super FX2 plus SA1 combined hack to increase the frame rate and add super scope support? I I don't know, but wishful thinking. And uh, I I still think it's it's pretty awesome, uh, even if we just got the story behind it, let alone the fact that we get to use the code now. Also, uh, both myself and Modern Vintage Gamer were kind of confused on SNES mouse support for the original game. He tried the Hyperkin mouse and it didn't work. Um, I don't I don't have an original. I only have the Hyperkin mouse, so I didn't try to recreate it. Uh, so are there different versions of the game? Do some, some work with the mouse and some don't? If anybody knows the definitive answer to that, or, or have at least have proof somewhere that it was working with the mouse at some point, please let me know in the comments and I'll pass it along to everybody, maybe even do a quick video demo of it or something. But it was definitely uh, kind of interesting because I'd read in different places that it was definitely compatible with the mouse, uh, but didn't see that here. So any info on that is always appreciated. And lastly, I just posted a very quick video that's a demo of the Mega Color video converter for the Mega EverDrive Pro. And essentially, one developer under the name Unique Games created an automatic script that converts pretty much any video you throw at it to a format that's fully compatible with the Sega Genesis when using the Mega EverDrive Pro with the combined new mapper file. Um, I had some issues with 4x3 files, but Crix helped me out and uh, and uh, added a different script for me to convert those files. But overall, I was just really impressed. So uh, even though it was just a short video and I didn't really spend too much time uh, doing a write-up on it or anything like that, um, it goes through how to download this software, how to convert your own videos, and what it looks like. And I also link to uh, in this post to a version of everything that I put together based on the original, what Crix had sent, and also the fix for 4x3. Um, if somebody wants me to take it down, or if the developer wants me to take it down and swap it out with the other one, that's totally with the link to theirs. That's totally fine. I don't mean to steal anybody's stuff. I was just trying to host something for free to just to help out. So certainly don't want to step on any toes there. And also keep in mind that this project is probably going to get updated. So um, the link you have here will get you started today, but please check the video from the original developer and uh, see if they have an updated version that you might want to use on yours. But overall, I just thought it was really cool. And uh, I had to do a video on it just because I thought it was a lot of fun. Well, that's it for this time. As always, thank you so much to everybody that watches, listens, participates nicely in the comments, and of course, and especially everybody who supports on platforms like Floatplane or Patreon, because without your support, none of these videos, none of the behind the scenes research or any of the work I'm involved in could ever happen. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week. 